Hello and welcome to episode 10 of IDcast. Um, my name is Brad Harper and I am an industrial design recruiter. I'm only one third of the pod, um, joined by two designers in Drew Kendrick and Emma Williams. Today we're actually chatting with Drew's former boss and partner in crime, Julie Lambrefson, who is the R&D director over at Convertech. What I should say before every episode really is that the views of the people we have on, it's their own personal perspective, it's not necessarily the views of the company that they work for, certainly don't want to get anyone into any trouble (laughs) at any point. Um, We spoke at great length with Julie about some of the harsher realities of sustainability, as well as the agency and client dynamic, which I hope some of you will find particularly insightful. Um, As always, if you want to get involved in the pod or even on our upcoming webinars, which are going to be really, really cool to be kind of starting up, then drop us a line at hello at designtruth.co.uk. Thank you. So, so Julie, I'm told you've um, you've known Drew for 15 years. So, I'm sure there's a story or two there. <laughs> there's going to be lots of stories, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if there's any of it that Drew wants me to share right now. Oh, okay, that's a shame. We had a good overlap of um, like questions and things to talk about from both you and from the guys over at this end. So I've been in the middle with like sort of two streams of questions and topics and um yeah it should it, it should be good fun there's definitely some uh some questions from brad or some areas to talk about uh one was one the, the one that really excited me was uh maybe something to talk about you know working with external uh design agencies you know how that how that fits <laughs> in with an internal team it's like uh-huh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah i can talk about that yeah <laughs> So, yeah. Um, yeah, obviously, thank you for coming on um, to to the podcast. We do ask this, do ask this to everyone, but have you listened to us before? I have. Um, I listened. Yeah, I did it today because that was coming <laughs> <on>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I've been going on about the podcast for like the last twelve weeks or something, and fine. <laughs> okay, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> well taken. Um, I've just I've got a really long queue of other podcasts that I listen to as well. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I can I can totally relate. <laughs> I, don't, I don't listen to it either. We've already talked about this. I don't <laughs> we all hate each other, uh, our, our own voices. Uh, yeah. Can't even speak today. We all hate hate our own voices, so we just yeah. sort of skip our own bits. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're like fragmented listeners. I, I think I can relate to that. I think that's how I'm going to feel too. Yeah, <laughs> I just listen to the guest basically, and as soon as I start talking, I skip it, and then I work out kind of the bits of where I talk, and I avoid that, and then yeah. and then I go, yeah, we've done a good job there, guys. And then we just send. <laughs> that is, uh, that is pretty much it. So, unfortunately, I might have to try that again. But if you could okay. quickly just introduce <laughs> yourself to our um, one listener in Barbados, that would be that would be brilliant if you could do that. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I shall do that. Um, so, my name is Julie, uh, and I've lived in the UK for just over ten years. Um, and I'm originally from Denmark. Um, that's where I took my degree in integrated design engineering. Um, it wasn't a, a straightforward route 
to that uh, education. Um, I've been around quite a few different things. Um, in Denmark, everyone gets paid to study. Yeah. Um, you get paid to go to university and you get a small allowance depending on your personal situation, whether you live at home um, or you um, you move out uh, and live with somebody else. Um, you get you get an allowance basically to go to university. So there's an incentive for everybody to, to educate yeah. themselves um, and there's no barriers to education with your study. Um, and so it also allows you to... Uh, I guess flap about a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Try whatever feels good for you. I mean, I think that's super important when you're that age as well, because you don't, I mean, it's very rare. And as we found from this podcast, it's very rare that people know what they want to do from yeah. the time that they have to oh, do yeah. a degree. Yeah. So using something vocational, like like design of any kind, um, it's like, it's too soon. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, too, it is. it's too young in your life. I think I, I, I really respect people who, um like either try something and then you know get to the end of their 20s or at any point in their life and go oh, actually i might fuck this up a little bit uh, I'll, yeah. go, I'll, like, I'll try again but yeah if you just hang out and flap about as you say yeah you know, maybe go and adopt a monkey in south america yeah uh, exactly you know it well yeah is there a story <laughs> there um yeah so i uh <laughs> i started off wanting to be a zookeeper um, and so I skipped the education. I went to South America to look after some animals and adopted a few uh, armadillos, monkeys, otter babies. Um, <laughs> so had a whale of a time, but then realized that it wasn't really going anywhere. <laughs> 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 I was just being young and flapping about, and it was awesome. It was a really good yeah. time, um, but it was not going to be my future. Um, and so I decided after that, well, you know, I speak Spanish, so. I'm probably just going to take a degree in Spanish, uh, which I did, and then decided I wasn't going to do anything with that either. Um, <laughs> and uh, then I realised I was quite good at physics and maths and uh, chemistry. Um, and so I joined the uh, engineering high school in my town and studied that, uh, not really knowing what I was going to do with that either. Um, but while I was there, they opened up a new degree, which was integrated design. Uh, and so that was a combination of uh, multiple uh, engineering degrees, mechanical design, electronic design, um, production design, um, and industrial design. Um, so we were the second year to finish uh, that degree at the engineering high school. Um, and because it was it's such a combination degree, so it's like some people would say mm, it's a bit of you've got a little bit of everything but not much substance of anything um I saw that completely different I really saw it as a strength of knowing a little bit about everything um and so during my degree I realized that I wanted to use it to design something that is important to people something that makes a difference in people's lives um and that's when I realized I wanted to go into medical devices um, and there's quite a strong um, culture of designing medical devices in Denmark. Um, so there were quite a few companies to choose from. And I sent an application to all of them uh, and didn't get through to any of them. Um, and so Good that was pretty, Yeah, exactly. So that was pretty disappointing. I was like, uh, I think you have missed an opportunity. Not me, but them, obviously. <laughs> um, 
And so uh, I found out that I knew someone who knew someone who worked at one of the uh, bigger medical science companies. And I asked if I could call her and she said yes. And we had a conversation. She afterwards told me that there was no way she was going to take the new engineer into the team. But she spoke to me and decided that um, she was going to give it a try. So that was <laughs> got my foot through the door. Um, and they didn't have any open positions at the time, so they didn't have a position to offer me. But what they were able to do was they were able to do a placement in Gloucestershire, of all places, um, at an ECG electrode uh, manufacturing unit. And that was all covered by some of the European grants um, to allow me to prove my worth there. Um, and uh, once I'd finished there, they saw the potential in me and then brought me back into headquarters in Denmark. Um, I spent a bit of time in uh, research and development there and I spent some time also in marketing in Birmingham. Um, and then I spent some more time in research and development in Denmark and then they decided uh, to close the Danish site down when they merged with an American company and move all of the research and development jobs to Eastside in North Wales. And that was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Represent. <laughs> and that was when I was offered the opportunity to, uh, to move. And I just, it was an industrial estate. You know, there's a spa. Um, not a spa, spa, but like a, like a spa that you would go to, but you know, like a shop. Uh, there is a, a, a garage and a Burger King and a Starbucks. I mean, that came a bit later, but yeah, I can mean I can see why all of those international companies would just go. Let's meet in the middle, uh, <laughs> meet spot uh, in D side. It smells fantastic. Why and it's got the HQ of Iceland, so it's got everything you need, really. <laughs> <laughs> why did they pick North Wales? Um, so that site was already there um, okay. within the American company, uh, <laughs> yeah. and they just decided that that was a better site than the uh, very beautiful uh, building that we had in the Danish forest, um, all filled with Danish designer furniture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow, maybe That's North fair. Wales is the future. So. It, it I mean, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're pushing it a bit there, but I appreciate it. It's the future of North Wales, for sure. Um, But that's all it's the future of. No, I spent a week um, in the site in Birkerod um, in Denmark um, because I was already working at Convertech then. So I went over there. I was like, holy shit, this looks like a proper design studio. They've got desks. They've got space for you to just like walk about in and go and talk to other professionals. This is incredible. There's even a fridge full of day beer and like a stack of magazines. Wow. It was amazing. Uh, and then you came back after a week. I was like, oh, they're, they're, they're going to be really disappointed. Like anybody who's going <laughs> from there to here is going to get here and go, why is the carpet this corner? What the hell? <laughs> why, is, why are the people like this? What's the studio like? What was the studio like? Is it a beautiful place or is it a bit questionable? Yeah. In, in the D side? Yeah. Um, I would say uh, the office where I work is the most beautiful part of the place. Um, because because I basically made a case a few years ago where I said if you want designers to do design work 
it's going to have to change this up a bit. Like, mm. it's going to have to uh, get the blue carpet out. <laughs> We're going to have to change the desks. We're going to have to have some flexibility in furniture. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's not the worst, but it's definitely we're not back to Danish standards here. We're not. Yeah. I, I didn't quite get the budget required. <laughs> yeah, I've been to some weird places. Part of the job is um, you go to all these wonderful design studios, and you go to some, and honestly, it's like no windows and things like that, and you just think, how can, how you, can cre- you design? How can you create an environment? Uh, and even to some places where you'll look at the brand and think, oh, this is quite a quite a big brand here but then you go to the yeah. office and it's all an illusion i'll tell you yeah. that. It's all an illusion. <laughs> and yeah. i don't know how much you've got to go around danish design studios yet um but you should definitely do that in the future if you haven't yet you will not find that in danish design studios you will not find mm. those ones out there where you get uh, <laughs> i mean sass it up a bit guys like in denmark and this is just a completely general thing you just you have Danish designer furniture because it looks good and it <laughs> feels nice yeah. and it inspires you to do pretty things. Um, you yeah. have to have natural lighting. You have to have light rooms. Um, <laughs> you have to have you know artworks and sculptures and um, and this is not even just in workplaces. Like you you, you would expect that in workplaces because that's what people have at home. Yeah. You're not yeah. going to go to a workplace that feels worse than being at home. Yeah. Mm, and yet. <laughs> yes, here we are. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but you, it's it's interesting you're saying about like the furniture because I'm, I'm an interior designer and I have been to several sort of offices, factories of sort of finished designers and some of the like areas that they design, it's just so drab and you just sort of think, gosh, like, surely you you surely you should design for the space you're trying to design yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, a, like just a lack of space to put an a3 pad and to move that about and wave a pencil yeah even just yeah. little things like that you know you've got a laptop and a keyboard and a monitor and that's the space you've got so the fuck am i gonna draw on you know <laughs> <laughs> can you not draw on air drew yeah, come on what kind of designer are you? <laughs> draw, draw my back and I will guess what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's it. You've got a computer so you can just dive straight into CAD, surely. You can just start doing the detailed design right away. What's the matter with you? Why do you need to think about it? <laughs> like, it's, just, it's, it's, it's really simple. Um, but it's nice to see it when you, when you do go to a nice studio. It is nice to sort of go, oh, wow, that's like, oh, you guys have just left a bit of space over here that isn't attended but yeah well sometimes we just go over there and have conversations like <laughs> well mm. going outlook though first right i mean i suppose it's not it's by no means just one corporation like that that's uh, do people take that for granted uh, um <sighs> yeah yeah, it is really, really important. And, you know, one of the great things that Judy did in our team um, in cultivating that freedom and in that expression and, in a, and allowing you to pursue your right way of working was like, very early on when I came back to Convertech. Um, we sort of, we talked about how we wanted to work and what works in the office and what works at home. And it was very clear that, you know, some days you just need a bit of space, you need table space and the radio on and just to do sketching and make a mess 
and that means stay at home and do it. And you know, it's a like text in and just say, oh, I'll, I'll, I might come in later on because I want to do some sketching, or I might just carry on sketching all day. Um, unless you know, unless you've got other commitments, of course. But it's that flexibility that's you know a two way thing, and it and it just really builds uh, trust and encouragement and enables creative confidence in your own decision making. It has such a big impact on on every way that you work. And it's just, it's it's little things like that. And I think, I mean, this is, it's a really good time for you to be on actually, Julie, because of, um, you know, one of the things I think we all want to talk about, which was the return to, you know, a shared working space, uh, be it an office or whatever. And mm-hmm. I know that, well, at least last I heard, you were, you were sort of part of that review team or something in cover you were certainly part of the discussion um just, yeah you know, we, we haven't we haven't even quite made it as far as to um what's going to happen with how i kind of work or being a designer um in the future uh, i have some very good ideas about it yeah. <laughs> um but at the moment it's very much a case of um who has to be in the office area to perform their job um, they come first on the list, and that's already filled up the space that we have, just getting those people back in. Yeah. Um, and obviously, with it being medical devices, we have people who have to be in laboratory settings to perform all regulated testing, um, which can't be done at home. Um, whereas all of my um, meetings can be done over video calls now, it turns out. <laughs> yeah. um, but what I don't think we can do as effectively or as innovatively is the workshops, um, the the things where we really need to be face to face to read all of our language and body language and just need to spend time together, ask all of the questions, come up with all of the ideas, that kind of thing. I still cannot see and I might just be getting old but I can't see that happening over Zoom calls um, so you know I think realistically in the future um, we're never going to be able to stuff as many people into the offices as we used to I was always against the amount of people we had in the office yeah. anyway um, and so it'll be a case of why don't we can um, change our building into some nice workshops uh, and laboratories, and then mm. everyone has a nice desk at home where they do their day-to-day job, and when they need to see people or do physical work, they come to the facility. Yeah, that's yeah. the way that I'm trying to build the new team that I'll be building is, you know, be safe, be at home, do all the stuff that you can do from a computer, just where you are in your own nice environment. Uh, but then there'll be occasions where we do want to get that full sensory engagement and that means movement and it means being inspired by a smell that passes you by it means going out for a walk and doing all those things um and that i think the best way to do that and it's i think it's it's a, a common theme with everyone we've spoken to is there are times when that is just the most powerful thing yeah you know, yeah but whether you're in an office or whether you're at home is to get up from your desk and move about and go and engage what concerns do you have that you may have people in your team or people that will join the business one day that may not have that nice environment at home? And actually the office is the outlet. It's, you know, that's their, the thought of them working from home is not ideal because it's not for everyone. 
and houses aren't designed in a way where they've got a nice little desk in the corner um no, we don't absolutely. have we don't have so how do you how how would you manage that how would you what, what what can you do is it just a case of providing hardware or um what what can you do to to make sure that people can work to the best of their abilities from from the power of their own home I mean, I, I think we're going to have to be flexible and go on a one-to-one -one basis here because similar to, you know, some of us actually find it quite comfortable to be at home. Mm. At least I've got my Danish designer friends <laughs> around me here. <laughs> um, um, and, and I'm acutely aware that some people are not finding it very comfortable, that some people are not actually getting an improved work-life balance from being at home. They work mm. too much or they work too little, um, or they just get generally depressed um, from not seeing other people. And I just think yeah. that's going to be a big management challenge for all of us in the future, is to figure out how we solve that. Because that might be, if we don't have that space available to those people, and but we want them, we want to recruit them, um, that they would have to hire um, individual workspaces you know, every day or a couple of days a week or once, you know, whatever suits people. Um, like Drew said before, I as a manager am very, you know, people-led. I mm. think it's very important that people are comfortable with the way they work because it's the only way to deliver good work. And that's not being comfortable as in lean back and chill out comfortable. Yeah. Like that just means that your general comfort needs are catered for first. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to, you know, part of the way, <laughs> true, um, part of the way that I like to work is to, to generate tension. There has to be tension. And I deliberately employ people who challenge me because if I don't get challenged, I won't develop as a leader, as mm. an innovator myself. We just get stagnant. And so, yeah, I, I see everything as a new opportunity, a new challenge, a, 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 you know, do something different. Um, I don't I don't keep record of how I do things and then just follow the same procedure again next time. I've got plenty of that, you know, doing medical devices. I have to follow regulations on a daily basis. I have to do repeat, repeat, repeat. But that's, that's not how I work and it's not mm. it's not who I am. Um, it's just a process I have to follow because there's regulations around the products that I design. Yeah, I suppose to bolt onto that, it's not just the work-life balancing, it's also the training, isn't it? Yeah. How do you train staff up during these times? Have you found that a challenge at all in terms of developing the staff or just developing someone's skills as a designer when you're not you know, on their shoulder or, or near them? Or is that a challenge? Not yet. No, I mean, it hasn't been a problem yet. And, and I think it's, you know, it's important that you get the right staff for, yeah. for the team, you know, because there may be people that I am not able to, to train or engage with on a distance, but the people that mm. I do work with, I am. You know, we we are able to, we're, we're, we're good at engaging um, mm. over screens <laughs> as well, because because we know each other already. Um, so I haven't yet had to take on new people whilst not being able to meet them face to face. Yeah. But that dimension could, could change that if you have to bring in another, another head. Yep. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, th I think, you know, my, my thoughts on it is 
I have I have actually recruited people previously um, over the phone. Um, I recruited a very good engineer um, from China uh, over the phone, and I just knew, you know, I just and I'm not going to say I always have the right instincts, but I have very good instincts. I've yeah. definitely uh, come up with some disasters along the way as well. I'm going to be I'm going to choose to face myself in the former. <laughs> Um, did you interview but, Drew? I did interview Drew. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was that interview like? Was he good at interviews? Drew, Drew didn't feel interviewed, but Drew was being interviewed. <laughs> 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 uh, yes, I think Drew did really well um, because actually, you know, with it being a design department, which we don't have a lot of in-house designers in Comatech, hardly any. Um, and so there isn't, again, like a given procedure for how do you interview a designer? And so we sort of had to come up with it a bit. Like, right, okay, what we're going to do? We're going to like see him in front of this phone and ask him to draw it. <laughs> um, and so those kind of little challenges that were thrown at him, and yeah, he just you know took it on board. And uh, I think we even did a before you came in for the interview, you had to sit down for an hour and just sketch anything that was on your mind. Yeah. And sent it into us. Um, that was really good. It was a really, it good, was really good, good. Uh, technique because, um, like, usually as a designer, you're drawing something that isn't in front of you. So, drawing the phone, I was like, oh shit. Um, like, just <laughs> against the actual phone that's in front of me, that's going to be hard because I don't normally draw things that are in front of me. I just draw things that are in my brain and that don't exist yet. Um, and I'm trying to figure out how you're, you know, how you're going to interact with this thing. So, I'm drawing more of the movement without trying to get to Kandinsky about it. Um, so yeah, having having that, like draw for an hour, take a, you know, take a, a picture or something like that, and then just email, it was to, uh, what level was Mark, was a VP? Yeah. Yeah, so it was a VP of R&D for two business units in the company, he's like, right, email me back in an hour with whatever you've sketched. I filled the page, and I was like, okay, uh, here we go, sent it back. Mm -hmm. I actually, I came across it the other day, and I really like it. I think it's going to go on the wall somewhere, because it was just like a, an hour brain dump. Um, it was good. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it, yeah, like it's a, I, I would recommend that as an interview technique. If you've got people, go, like, it's really nice to look at the portfolio, but just, yeah, give me an hour, like, email me back in an hour, go. I think that's really cool to see how people just react to that. Um, but... Yeah, as I said, I'd worked at Combatech a long while before um, and maintained a good friendship with Julie for a long time uh, in, in, in that gap as well. So, yes, I didn't feel like I was being interviewed. And I, I think that honestly probably helped as well. I, I would just, you know, approach it as you're not under like exam conditions when you're at, when you're being interviewed. Um yeah, like the thing, one of the things you're looking for is like, how does this person's chemistry interact with mine? And what's their skill set like compared to mine? How are they going to complete more of the team that I can't contribute to? Um, and if we've got overlapping things, is that, are we going to be able to share that work or are we going to wrestle over it? Because, you know, mm -hmm. we can get, like, I, I speak for myself here, I want to do all of it, right? So I really like it when I know I've got a trusted teammate that I can go, actually, can you just go and handle this? Even if I think it's one of my strong suits or one of my favorite bits, I'm like, can you just handle this? Because I've got to go and do this over here. Um, and that's the, I, I would say that that was the, one of the best things about the team that we built. I say we built. I was there when it was built. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, we always interview people like, how well do we get along? How well do we trust them? Um, and yeah, what are they good at? What's what's what are the, what's the bit that they want to take control of? Um, mm. To your point, Brad, about uh, trading, especially now, uh, I like people who um, like who want to learn more and who want to train. Again, with a CV, it's great to see where you've been and what you've done, but also I kind of want to see a little bit about like uh, what what else are they, what else are they interested in? Like, yeah, mm, yeah. Actually, the the VP that you just mentioned, uh, who was there when when you interviewed, he said to me, I think, and it was the first time I sort of heard somebody say this. He said, "Never trust a designer that doesn't have a creative hobby." Mm. Yep. That's 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 a good point. I'll, I'll write that <laughs> and down sometimes, down. sometimes as well, like when you look at a CV or a portfolio, sometimes you 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 don't get to portray that as well, really. So it's, I think it's yeah, it's crucial and, to get you that know, point across. Anything can be creative, whether it's photography or music or cooking. Anything can be creative, but designers have hobbies. Yeah. So going it's all back, about side projects, isn't it? So, so going back, so at the time when Drew came in, you didn't really have design in the business, is that right? Or that much design? You were building uh, the team at that point? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, I've, I've been with the company for over 14 years. Um, okay. I have a design background myself. Um, but at the time when Drew came in, there was no one else really doing the sort of, you know, the, the physical tangible uh, designing mm. was that being out was that being outsourced then was yes. it yeah that was yeah. all being outsourced yeah and, and what was the reason behind bringing it in into the business rather than outsourcing was it a bit more control what was the what was the reason behind thinking actually we don't need to outsource this we can bring this in into the business I think it was a leadership philosophy at the time um mm. and these things you know change back and forth in large corporations um, so at the time, it was just a case of let's see if we can spread ourselves a little bit across here. And yeah. it's very, very expensive to use big design consultancies mm. um, for every new project because our projects are not simple. You know, it's with, with it's, it, you cannot do medical devices without good uh, insight into the users and the use environment. Um, and those kind of projects cost a lot of money so every project before we even get started on the design of a product easily costs hundreds of thousands um, and that's a lot and you're at the same time I, I felt we were losing a lot of the information a lot of the insights because when somebody else we you pay somebody else to go and do it they only report back on your brief but I know for a fact, because I've been doing research all the time I've been with uh, Comatech since 2006, that there is a hell of a lot more information there than the... They've the also got other that, clients as well. They have, exactly. But, yeah, you know, it's not an exclusive partnership, is it? It's, uh, um, <laughs> you know, they have other kind of clients they're looking to service, so... They, they um, have it's, an, it's a very interesting dynamic. I think it's a dynamic that's never spoken about. It's this kind of unwritten, unspoken mm. code almost that you don't well, really talk I'll about. Quite, I'll quite happily talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> I have done many times before. But the thing is as well, that I also always felt with some more than others, 
information was deliberately being held back for me, from me. So it's like mm. we divide the project into phases and you're doing this phase of work and then they'll deliver on that phase of work and they'll do their big presentation and they'll say, and we could sell you the next phase of work. Yeah. This one, you will get this information. But guess what? They already had the information because yeah. they'd already done the research for us. So they were just mm. not giving us everything that they'd done. And I find that unacceptable. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so my approach to that was I started to do it more as a cooperation. So if I ever engage with an external agency for, for uh, research or design work, I want it to be 50% of the work. I wanted to sit in their workshop next to them and do the design work. I wanted to go to all of the interviews and hear all of the information firsthand as well. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't go down very well with the agencies, I have to say. They, they mm. weren't terribly impressed. <laughs> I find that really fascinating, actually, because just like I'm, I'm a recruiter, so I'm not a designer, and we have that same kind of consultancy client relationship at times. Yeah. And in our, in my line of work, I'd be on more your line of thinking I'd actually want to embed myself with the client and actually spend as much time with them as possible yeah um whereas from what you're saying it's almost like they want it to kind of be transactional they don't really mm-hmm. want to fully embed themselves into your organization because no. they no. want to keep that insight it's really yeah. fascinating because that's the polar opposite to how we would we'd be like I'd love to sit in your design studio for a day just to hear what's going on and yeah. I can get a really good feel for the culture of a company where I wouldn't get that from five bullet points on a job spec. Do you no. see what I mean? So I it's a very absolutely. My experience, even just at Convertech, but um, actually going going across to a few different companies that I've worked with, where we've hired agencies, mm. it's always my preference, as Julie says, to be part of their team mm. because I think you bring something back as well. Um, you know, just a fresh bit of energy, and I do like it when they want to engage with us as well and be part of our team uh, and i've definitely seen agencies uh, and worked with agencies where we've been at both ends of that spectrum mm. uh, so yeah a team in switzerland that i worked with um they switzerland. were that i worked with I, I I quite liked, and they quite liked. I mean, they were at least they said they quite liked. Um, that I would just go and hang out and do work there for uh, a day here and there. I mean, we had ongoing project work with them, and they were kind of the exclusive partner. So, you know, it was nice we had that set up, and we took a lot of the way that they worked back to the office. And then in turn, when I came to Convertech, I brought a lot of that with us too. And then there was another agency, and we've spoken to a couple of guys. Uh, on this podcast that I worked with during my time at Comotech, where again, we had that similar relationship. But there's, there was definitely one agency in particular, I could probably think of two or three, where they've been very much uh, behind closed doors. And as Julie says, you really get the sensation, whether it is, I, I mean, it, it, that's the feeling. Whether that's the message that they're trying to project or not, that's the message that, that is inferred. I wonder if that's more of a medical thing. I wonder if that's more of a medical um because like you always associate i don't know designers with sectors you know they, some are better fitted to some and maybe the medical space is that kind of closed door kind of element to it whereas it's all about rules and regs and maybe just that personality fit just fits in within that kind of framework or has done historically um i don't know i'm just playing devil's advocate here 
Yeah, it could be, but I think it, it, it varies. Like uh, like I say, they've, I've worked with two or three agencies recently with Convertech, and there have been different uh, approaches in that. Um, mm. Some have been super duper open and engaged, and it's really, really appreciated. Uh, and others have been very much transactional. Mm. Um, like it does feel like they're withholding certain bits of information sometimes. Yeah. So tell us about this. Tell us about the outsourcing process. Is it a case of okay, we've got a project of work coming up, and we just put it out to tender, and we get X, Y, and Z respondents, or do you have a little back book of people you've used in the past and think it will go to these guys? Or if you wanted to work, if you wanted to work with Convertech as an external design consultancy, what's the process? Like, how do you do it, or how do you do it in most companies? Is it just kind of you, you know, constant networking and that kind of thing, and you give people a bit of a chance to present, or what's the the actual process of There's a challenge with working with agencies as well in that, um, like similarly, you know, there's, there's certain criteria that need to be met um, for some medical device companies that may need, um, they may need their agencies to be 13485, uh, you know, certified and, 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 and practitioners of, um, but that's not always uh, an indication of the quality of their ideas or their way of working. Um, or again, like we've talked about, one of the really important things is is between the chemistry of the internal R and D team, if there is one, um, and that understanding of the of the users and so on. It's it, it, it's just the uh, the criteria and the hoops you have to jump through are often nothing to do with design quality. Um, yeah, and it, yeah, it can be a barrier and an unnecessary or like an inaccurate barrier. Yeah. So, do you think? Um if we think about code and all that kind of jargon, um, do, do, do consultancies need to pivot then? Or if they continue down this transactional route, will it keep them, uh, will it make them unstuck in, in a, in a not so distant future or because of the work they're doing and the skills that they have, they can still work to those ways because their skills are always going to be in need. Absolutely. Yeah. I, don't, I don't see it. Um, I don't see them working themselves out of business. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I think it's going to continue to be, you know, change in approaches within different companies. Um, and I, you know, my intention was never for us to have a full-time in-house design agency and never have to go external again because mm. the external agencies do all of the, like, micro and macro trending and for, for all of their different clients, whether it's medical device or consumer goods or whatever else they're doing. And we need that input, you know. Mm. It was never going to be a big design team um, within within medical devices. But what I found important about our role is that you, in my opinion, you have to have an in-house innovation and design team of some size. It can be one person, but I think that's not quite enough. Um, but a, a small team at least. What would you recommend? <laughs> what would I recommend? You know what, it, it really depends on the size of the business and okay. the amount of responsibility that that team then has. Um, you know, I think we were working in a team of four, which worked really well, um, mm. but it was within one business unit of a big business that has four or five business units. Um, so, or, you know, it really depends on, on the setup of the business. Um, but I just think, you know, and like I said a little bit earlier about the making sure that you've got enough people with enough backgrounds that you've got a little bit of sort of different viewpoints extensions um and, and all of that um but the role of that team as much as it is generating
generating innovation and design in-house, it is to be able to catch it when it comes from externally. Because mm -hmm. if you just go out, you know, or the chemist from the lab goes out with a brief and say, we need to design X. And then the design agency comes back with what they perceive to be X. And if you don't have a design background or a research background, you're not able to validate whether you've got a proven good product. Yeah. And so you might just go, oh, yeah, thank you. That was exactly what I asked for. And then you start the design process. And then you realize all of its flaws later. And that's just extremely frustrating and very, very expensive. The early work has to be done properly. It has yeah. to be fine for the, for the medical devices to actually hit the market in, in, you know, in the end. And I think some design, design consultancies have probably got frustrated with us that they feel they've designed a really good product for us and we haven't launched it. But the reality <laughs> is, I mean, it might look really good. They might have even user tested it and the users have said, yeah, that's exactly what I want. And that's, But if we can't make it at a cost price where we can make money as well, we can mm. fulfill all of the users' needs. It doesn't matter. We're not going to make it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, interesting. So um, it, when in terms of agencies, do you, um, is that across the board in terms of in, into Europe as well? Um, is that just a design agency thing in terms of, have you noticed that more when working in the UK or in some agencies used in the UK? Or is it just a general kind of observation from, from agencies across Europe and, and even the US and whatnot? <sighs> Um, it's a good question. I don't think I've probably worked with enough different agencies from different countries to say. Um, okay. I think is location like, quite important? Is location quite important then from a from an outsourced partner? Then do you want someone that's not necessarily down the road, but within your kind of country? I mean, I think we're realizing that location is less and less important, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think you've asked me five years ago when I would have said I'd love to have somebody down the road because of the way I want to work with them and I want mm. to engage with them as often as possible um, and it's a hassle for me to have to travel there um, but now you know I think we're all just getting used to um, um, lost again. Oh, you, was in, you was in full flow then yeah. <laughs> um, I'd say to be honest on, on Having been on both sides of that, um, been at agencies. Because you, you worked for an agency for a bit, didn't you? So you yeah, yeah. And yeah. I've been uh, freelance. I've been self-employed, and I've and I've been a house cat. Um, and it is always no, no matter you're trying to build a team, even if it's just for the length of a project or for the length of a, a you know a, a small piece of work. You're trying to build a team, so you need that relationship and that chemistry. And um, you know whether that's based on geography, which is a great head start, it really is, because if you've got someone who's, you know, within an hour's drive, and you want to go and look at the latest prototypes and get your hands on them, that's really, really valuable. Um, but likewise, if you want um, like a load of cachet and a load of kudos, then maybe you work with someone in New York or Milan for the sake of that, or, you know, in Copenhagen. Um, because you want, you know, you need that sort of proven... Um, someone that can really add a, a sense of identity to uh, to a piece of work as well. Um, 
and it is about how much the company, not just the team, is willing to engage. Because um, I, I honestly think um, like designers that are in house are probably excited to work with a agencies because it's like um, you've got to learn something. Um, but it, it, it is exciting. You go, you get to go and play and get to go and train with like those big hitters. And that's just cool. That's really, really cool. And especially if you come back from that, you know, energized and thinking, actually, the way that I'm, the way that I've been working, is kind of the way that they've been working, and it's. Does it give you that creative confidence you talked about earlier? It hundred percent does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, I'd say it's a chance to stretch your legs and go, look, I can, I can properly do this. Hmm. So, if you were um, a business owner that is outsourcing their design and is thinking about bringing it inside, I'm sure there are maybe our listener in Barbados is thinking about this very thing right now. How how <laughs> what advice would you have for kind of building an internal design team what what, what is it that because i'm sure that must be a decision because i know some of the hourly rates these firms charge and you know it does make you sweat a little bit for me the value is more that i get all of the work i get okay. all of the prototypes i get all of the research i get the whole package and on top of that the designers are part of the business so they know what it is and isn't going to fly politically or mm. production-wise or, you know, so that we should always allow wild ideas as well, but at some point we rein it in and mm. we become realistic about what this business is actually capable of achieving mm. uh, and within the cost and within the timelines that we want. And that's really, really difficult to get that properly briefed and get that delivered from externally. Mm. See, I would use you, Julie, as a really good example of what you get when you have someone that's in the company for a long time, um, and that's the intrinsic understanding of what the human needs are, not just the condition, not just the things you read on online in an afternoon, because that's important stuff to do. And if you're, you know, like any designer, you're going to have an involvement in a project, but if you're engaged in the company, you're engaged in the not just the product that you're working on now, but like, what is the thing? Like, what what are the background things? What are the roots behind this problem that we're trying to solve right now? You know, we're putting a bandage on, but we need to we need to stop the bleeding. Mm. Uh, actually, that's probably too close a metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, essentially, that was. Have you got? Have you got? Have you got any examples of that where the insight you've got from your ex years is something? Do you get this common thing of? They'll keep suggesting something, but you'll be like, because they've done this piece of research, but you're actually like, hold on, we can't do this because of X or Y. Um, Or is it similar to to where you talked about before saying, actually, we can't afford to do this or this isn't going to make us any money because we can't get it at the right kind of cost price. Um, Mm. Are there there any common themes of your years there being part of the furniture? Um, Does that make you kind of... Oh, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm now part of the Danish designer furniture. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, good question. Good question. I'm trying to think if there is specific themes, and I can't think of anything specific, but it, it, there's definitely some things that have come up multiple times from different agencies, and where you, you know, I just. And there's and there's going to be one at least every single time you get a new piece of work mm. from a new agency and you think, yeah, yeah, 
I mean, I've thought about it before, but <laughs> come on. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily think that it is one specific thing um, within our area because it, it does develop over time. Um, yeah, so it's more just a case of you're just being a little bit too obvious now. You know, I could yeah. Google that in half an hour too. Yeah, can, can sustainability be one of those things? <laughs> where <laughs> yeah. that is the sound of Drew being very uncomfortable <laughs> um, I think it's a, it's a good that's a good uh, suggestion for sure um, and, and in particular in the last couple of years you know it's just something that we've all watched the blue planet we've all stressed yeah. All of the water bottles in the ocean and all of the turtles getting caught in face masks. Stores. Yeah. But if it doesn't um, make any money, then the world doesn't go around, does it? Which is the unfortunate, uncomfortable truth of it all, I suppose. This is it, and I think sometimes what we, what we, what you don't realise being external to medical devices, because it takes a little bit of time to get your head around the fact that yes, we are all concerned about the environment and sustainability, all of us. However, these people have real problems. Like they're mm. concerned about being able to release their urine on a daily basis mm. three times a day. So and that's slightly more of a concern for them than whether or not a turtle got caught in a catheter in yeah. the ocean. Because if you don't drain your urine, you are going to die. And it's actually going to happen quicker than you might think because you're going to get full of toxins. So these people have to choose between what works for me what solves my problem and what solves the global issue of contaminating the oceans they are going to put themselves first and it just takes a little bit of time to get your head around that i think yeah. and it's a little bit too easy to go oh but we're all concerned about the environment yes we are however yeah. if i'm not alive i'm not going to be concerned about it anymore. <laughs> yeah it's it's so big that you know, some bits are just beyond your control as a consumer. Mm. Um, it would be great if those options were there. Like, of course it would. Like, we, we, we of course, want to try and solve that. No matter, no matter what you're making, that's something you want to try and address. There are some things where just the very nature of the type of product that needs to be used means that it can't be reusable for a start. And it might end up containing stuff that then can't be recycled or processed in any other way than going in the bin. Now... That speaks to a bigger issue where we need more design thinking about, um, you know, how to tackle all of that. And it can't be just put it in a hole because the hole's full. Mm. So, you know, you, you get to these barges that just float around on the ocean um, and that's going to work for a while. Um, and then sooner or later, we'll fire it all out into space and that'll be cool as well uh, for a while. But, you know, we're going to need traffic through all the shit that's flying around in the orbit, in, in, in the ozone and, and, and uh, you know, and in, and in space before that. So, like, it does need a proper, well-thought-out solution beyond it being, it, it shouldn't be the, the Just a word. It's just a word that gets thrown at you saying, you know, yeah, the, the reality of the situation is actually... Yeah, I just think that the burden is complex, big for the consumer. Um, mm. It, it's it, it like it's a societal thing, and it needs yeah. proper thinking. Um, yeah, yeah. I think it's also about prioritizing as well. Like you both um, make really valid points about how sometimes single-use plastics 
are needed, especially in med medical. Whereas Look at face think, masks. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Exactly. But like, I think we need to prioritize when it comes to sustainability, things that don't necessarily need to be single use plastics. Yeah. And I, th I think that that is such a huge percentage of plastic use. And I think that needs to be priority at the moment, you know, because there's no point attacking something that, like you said, Julie, is needed mm -hmm. when there's so many unneeded plastic use in the world all the time, you know? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you're quite right, Emma, and I think there probably are people who need a drinking straw. Um, yeah. But it isn't everybody, it isn't every time you buy a fucking drink, you know. Yeah, not exactly. everyone needs a straw. We don't, we just, just stop making them. They don't even need to be made out of paper. Just... Like if you if you are someone who for whatever reason needs a straw, buy a stainless steel one and wash it. Exactly. You know, and then just or, or buy one that's polycarb and wash it, um, and then just carry on living yeah. your life. But I don't need one every time I buy a drink, and I don't need a plastic lid. Uh, there's so many stuff like that. single use. There's so many single use plastics now that have alternatives that are out there, are available available like now. Yeah. Um, so there's no point sort of attacking things that haven't got alternatives when we need to tackle that issue first, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't want to make it an excuse either because, I, you know, I am personally concerned and I think we should be concerned as designers um, that this is an issue that needs to be tackled across the board. So I'm not making excuses. I would love to do something, but to your point... It's, it's the reality though, isn't it? It's, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, so we're on episode 10, and Julie is the first woman that we've had on. Mm. Now, it's not oh. the only, not the yeah. only thing that defines her, but it is the only thing to talk about. Um, now, we have, we have tried to reach out. We have tried to invite, and I, and I want to you know, take this opportunity again. It's like, I, I, I want this podcast to be more about, uh, we, you know, we want as wide a range of views as possible. Um, mm -hmm. Go back and listen to everything that Fish said because it was I won't I won't paraphrase uh, off the top of my head because I won't do it justice. Go and listen to Vish's episode um, because he, he's right in design. You're looking for breadth of perspective so that you can get an accurate view, and that's what we want to do with this podcast. This podcast is a design project for us, um, and yeah. we we are treating it like that. Um, so Julie, I mean. That, I guess, probably speaks to some things that you have faced in your career. But... Yeah, and so it's, um, I've come, obviously, like we spoke about earlier, through an engineering um, degree. So you would probably, I think, nowadays find that, you know, in, in design, whether it's architecture, furniture design, those kind of design um, degrees, you might find more women um, but engineering is definitely still lacking behind uh, attracting women into it. And, um, you know, I think uh, for a lot of years, I have probably said, I quite enjoy the male company. There's just less of this sort of female competitiveness or talking behind your backness or whatever it is that women do. That's just really uncomfortable. Um, and, and men don't do that, you know. By all means, talk about football. I don't care. But I can, I can, it's easier to listen to than bitching about another woman in the office. You know, um, I like I say, I would have said that for years. 
this still some of that that stands for me but i'm getting more and more sort of the the important thing for me is the diversity like i don't want to talk about who's a woman who's colored who's lgbtq it's not important to me what's important to me is that we have something different i don't build a team in my own mirror and I don't train people to do things the way I do them. Um, and I, I just want diversity, whatever yeah. that means, whether that means gender or backgrounds or ages or whatever it means, I want diversity. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'll just pick up what you said, um, Drew, because it's episode 10, isn't it? And this is the first person yeah. that we've had on that has been, it's not, a choice, I would say. I would say that it's not as if we. Uh... Not. It's the opposite of what we're trying to do. In fact, yeah, I think what we struggled think... with is we struggled to say no to people that want to come on. <laughs> and it's, basically, we were so shocked that people would actually want to listen and come on and chat that we was like, yeah, just just come on. And yeah, all of a sudden, I think we've you're ten, you're we've been quite yeah. we've been quite vocal about how we do want to have. An accurate representation yeah. you know and we want to I mean I think I mentioned it in a few episodes back we want to ha- have everyone say not just like the one percent not the one percent like the you know it's we want a demographic of everyone yeah. you know and uh, not just a white male yeah <laughs> you know we want everyone's input and we do um, like I think white males pro- as well <laughs> yeah we're, we're not opposed to them <laughs> but we don't want them to be the only <laughs> demographic either so yeah. yeah i hope i said that right <laughs> yeah so i mean um i mean we call it covid times but like 2020 has been this massive Oh, I don't know, like Super Hadron Collider of everything that's been a bit fucked up or massively yeah. fucked up for a long time. Going, do you know what? Time's up. Like, it, it, I mean, all right. So even even you know things like that. There's been this groundswell. These things have been coming for a long, long time. Mm. Suddenly, we've all just gone home and gone. Ah, do you know what? I'm sick of this now. Like, let's let's have it out. Let's read more books about this. Let's listen to different podcasts. Um, let's, let's let's try and try and learn and apologize for the things that I've got wrong. Learn the new things. Try and improve the emotional intelligence. Try and improve awareness. All of these, everything, all at once. Um, and I, th- I I think it's like that's part of the like that's almost like the insights work on your design project. You know, like that's the bit where you go, oh shit, actually I've missed that bit. We've been making this thing for ages, and actually we've not been addressing this massive user like set of user needs over here. And this is the thing now. It's like, that's where you need all those different perspectives because that's, yeah. that's, this is like, this is the research time and it's got to be ugly and it's got to sting. Um, mm. I'm being bothered by a small fly. He needs to be on the podcast. Yeah. Fly diversity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> try to murder me. But, um, um, yeah, I, I really, I would love to be the person to answer this question. Why haven't you had more women approach you, or more women accept your invitation to the podcast? Um, or where are the women in design hiding? Um, I, um, I don't have the answer to that. Uh, you know, I've even wanted to have more women in our team um, because it's very engineering heavy. Um, it just so happens that. 
many, many of our applicants to open positions are male. Um, and design products for men and women, extremely intimate products, like extremely intimate. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you don't know what a urinary catheter is, you know, or maybe what a tampon is, if we're along those lines, and to have a team of 12 male engineers sat there trying to imagine how to design a tampon and trying to have open and honest conversations, it's, you know, I know everyone's trying really hard and I do appreciate it, but it's a, it's a struggle. You know, this is even for me, this is this is one of the areas where I struggle the most because it's very, very important to me to always design with empathy. It, I have to be able to put myself in the shoes of the user really sort of understand what does their daily life look like what are they trying to achieve with this product how does it fit into everything else that they're trying to do who's involved in their decision making in their use all of these things i try to understand and designing an intimate product for a man i'm st i'm still struggling you know i'm still i'm still having very frequent conversations with designers in our team saying I just don't know how to get all the way there. You know, how do I design an intimate product for a man? How, how do I get the right level of empathy? I know it must be possible to get really, really close. Yeah, I would never, ever trust myself to go, oh, I'll, yeah, that's fine. I've got it. I'm going to go and do yeah. it. That yeah. wouldn't be yeah. fair. It just wouldn't be fair on the user to come back and say, I designed it. I had a lot of empathy for you. during. The <laughs> They're not going to believe it. I no. believe when Drew goes out and sells tampons, you know, they're not going <laughs> to. Yeah, that was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, we, no, debate, we, we debated like things on here, didn't we? Well, not debated, but we were a bit like, okay, clearly we need to get a woman on the podcast soon, otherwise it's going to look a bit quite concerning. And then you go the other way and think, do you overly compensate for that and do like a massive special where you group all of these kind of women designers together that feels quite forced and a bit unnatural yeah. it feels quite tokenistic as well yeah. I don't know if that's yeah. the word but it well, feels very like oh we'll take um, that word oh, yeah yeah <laughs> it feels very much like look we've got a woman on yeah rather than a Brunel grad on yeah it's interesting yeah, I, I extremely dislike that. I'd imagine so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do, do, yeah. When, when, you know, boards say, oh, we've decided that uh, by next year, 20% of the board must be female, so we have only mm. got female applicants now. And it's like, no, no, I want you to choose the right person. Like, just like I say with diversity, you know, I just want you to choose the right person for the job. And it doesn't matter where which hole they came out of, you know, it, it, it's just... <laughs> it needs to be the right person and I wouldn't want to have that job because I was a woman like I, no absolutely evaluation yeah. of my worth to have that role yeah and I get I, yeah. I think um I mean maybe not especially but I I can only represent my own view on this and from a again let's go back to a creative confidence point of view um I need to know that I'm the right person for that project uh, so if I've got anything that questions that um, which I, I'll admit I, I never have other than my own uh, insecurities. Um, yeah, that, that undermines any of your decision-making. And I do, I do just, again, if that's an internal voice, that's an internal thing, but, you know, it's it's there for me to represent. Um, and I would feel, 
yeah, I would feel massively undermined if I thought that any part of my uh, character or skill was overlooked in favour of uh, a demographic quali- uh, qualification. Um, yeah. So, um, but actually, you know, as, as you know, like we've talked, even before Brad and I talked about doing this podcast, I've talked to you about doing a podcast for yep. uh, 100 years, you know? Um, <laughs> oh, wow. I don't, well, remember. First, I don't remember the first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but we had to wait until number 10. Uh, yeah, we'll make, make it a landmark. No, nah, we'll do it again. Yeah, <laughs> Thank yeah. you for yeah, definitely. Me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, Julie, I've got a question. Um, yeah. What non-design things do you think are good for designers to get involved with to strengthen their design skills? Yeah. <laughs> I think it is so important and this is how i framed my entire career is on understanding the end user and it doesn't really matter if it's a medical device or a chair or a computer it doesn't matter everything needs to have the user left right and center now i need to be really really careful when i say that because i can like really rabbit hole myself into it's the user it's the user it's the user there are other influences as well, which is very important. I just said, you know, if an external designer has designed everything the user wants, you can't get it at cost price. You're not going to get it. So the, the user needs to be extremely important, but it is just as important to not let other things slip. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, if I'm recruiting for a new designer, for sure, like it'll be one of the first things I will talk about, and especially with medical devices, we've interviewed um taking them around to see some of our products, our dummies, and they've uh, passed out. And you know, I have to ask people difficult questions about how they feel about talking about very intimate personal yeah. uh, stuff, uh, whether it's emotionally or your body. Um, because at one point or another, we're going to end up talking about these things, and yeah. sometimes it's going to be in a joke, and sometimes it's because need to, you know, we had a workshop where we sat, we actually managed to find, I think, 12 people, um, 12 women around the office uh, to discuss uh, what female genitalia look like. Um, and these, these are the kind of things that we, that we do. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's so, just a casual Wednesday, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, that's what we call workshop Wednesday. Yeah. Um, so, so those are some of the things that um, I'm acutely aware of that I do need to talk to people about very early on and that I don't want to lead them into a company with the kind of work that we do without knowing that that's going to happen. Yeah. They're going to be seeing blood, they're going to be smelling urine, and they're going to be talking about their genitalia at some point. Some of the things that we ask patients and users to do uh, in terms of like miming or or demonstrating how they might use a medical device and especially when it's something so intimate like okay well design team let's go through the same thing as well let's like let's run this you do it too um because you'll be more willing to hear and like and feel uh, and really appreciate what's going on what's going through the through the guy's mind um while he's talking about using uh different products under different conditions because there's a whole mm. set of emotions that that, are, that you yeah. can go through and i think it's important and to understand I, 
I'm, I'm driven by uh, one of the users I spoke to very, very, very early on in my career. Um, so I, I was super young and really unexperienced. I was out doing this research, talking to people about using catheters. And she said to me, and it was just the way she phrased it when she said, you know, you, you know that feeling when you insert it and you get to this certain point. And I, it's just, you know, I just thought, mm. don't. Mm. Like, I, I don't. And so either you need to be very, very good at asking the right questions at that time, or you need to get extremely good at empathy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and I've seen everything from, you know, from, from people trying hard to empathise, which we need to understand is very different from empathising, um, because sympathising is ticky-ticky. Oh, that's really hard. I feel a bit, I feel really sorry for you. That's not the kind of attitude. It's not going to get you an uh, innovative new product to have empathy. You need to have empathy. But I've also seen people take it too far. Um, and there's always going to be people who are going to take that too far. But, you know, trying our kind of product yourself unsuccessfully can be very damaging. Um, mm. is, that, is, that like, is that too much kind of emotional attachment to a user or...? when you talk about taking empathy too far? I, I think it's it's the, the physical trying our product. The medical devices, they're not mm. intended for home use, if not prescribed. Um, and so doing that can be really dangerous and really bad. Mm. And so I'd, I'd say it's even the opposite. I'd say it's even like the opposite. I think it demonstrates a lack of understanding to to try these things on and go and be blasé about it. Yeah. It's no big deal. I'm fine. I'll just do it myself. I don't need training. Yeah. I don't need the, the consultation with a clinician. Um, yeah. I think it's the opposite. I think it's the arrogance, um, which is um, very, very harmful. Drew does yeah. not like arrogance. Has <laughs> 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 that come up before? <laughs> Come on, guys, that's not a big deal. Let's just say it was in contact lens. That's not a big deal. I can contact you and I can take it out. What do you want about? Why are you crying? Yeah. So that, that's, that's not me having empathy with the situation that a person is in. If they're really distressed about having to touch their eye. Yeah, the way I always like refresh myself in my mind about you know what you're trying to achieve with uh, an empathetic study is not what would I do in that situation. It's what does that person do and why? Um, like what do they do in that situation it doesn't matter what i would do because i'm a different character and i'm not designing for me because mm. i'm designing for somebody who has a different set of criteria different set of maybe limitations or complications or anything like that i need to understand what their practice is um and you know how we can address that not and, uh, and that is, you know, that is the definition of empathy is putting yourself in somebody else's shoes you literally need to live that other person's life yeah. Don't need to live it as if it was you. You need to live it as if you were them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, on that note. <laughs> yeah, on, on that on that bombshell. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, it was um, really lovely to see you all. And you too. Yeah. Thank was you. Was it so better was it better being on the podcast or listening to the podcast? Oh, uh, that's a really good question. I mean uh probably listening to it and really? probably listening to it listening to my own voice I think that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm. so I really enjoyed it um and I would I would probably put you off on an invite again
well, thank you for coming on. Fingers crossed on the audio on this. So yeah, exactly. Another, uh, <laughs> and every episode just comes with this challenge for Emma with the, okay. with the edit. And the last <laughs> one, okay. the last one was um, the hedge trimmer went off in my garden, and <laughs> and I thought I thought my laptop was exploding. I thought my laptop was genuinely exploding. I was really concerned. It's massive noise. Talking to this guy in Australia. just done our first ever live webinar as Design Truth with talks from Nick Chubb and Roland Ball and a bunch of Q&As from you guys. If you missed it, it's available to watch on our YouTube channel, Design Truth. As ever, if you'd like to take part, let us know. Email us at hello at designtruth.co.uk or visit our website, www.designtruth.co.uk. See you on the next episode.